You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. I trust that you are all uh, recovered and uh, recovering from uh, whatever happened on New Year's and are excited about the new opportunities that we have. We are going to launch into a new series entitled In Between from the book of Philippians. So uh, why don't you get your Bibles out and turn to uh, the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to this church. And... um, as you saw in the video, we're in the, uh, the already but not yet. We, we find ourselves in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, we're not what we used to be, but we're not what we will be either. Um, uh, before we were saved, we're out, outside of Christ, and now we are in Christ. And, but now we have become eternal life. We, we've begun eternal life. And we tend to think of eternal life in the context of when we get to heaven. Uh, But the reality is eternal life really begins for us the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we live in this time right now, this time between our salvation and we get to heaven and it's the in-between. And uh, really that's what the book of Philippians is about. It's about how we live our lives uh, during this season, during this time. And so Paul has written this letter, an amazing letter to the church uh, that is in uh, Philippi. I got a couple maps we want to put up on the screen today. There's a couple things we need to know for, for all of you who are Filipinos who are here today. Okay. Um, let me explain something to you. The Philippines is over here and the book of Philippians was written to a group of people here. So if all of your life you thought there's a book of the Bible for us, not so much. Okay. It is for you. It's for everybody. It's not for the people from the Philippines. It's from the people who lived in Philippi, the the Philippians. See, I'm going to get it wrong now. Okay, put the other map up because that'll help to clarify all of this. And that's where Philippi was found, up in Asia Minor, and uh, was during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, That's when that church was found, and we're going to come back and see that in uh, just a moment. But first, we want to read God's Word. Uh, That's what we're here for, so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read His Word and follow along as I read, starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I told you in my heart, excuse me, because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only and in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you again, Lord, that we can hold it in our hands. We can read it. We can study it. You can reveal yourself through it. And we ask, God, that you would do that today. In between, as we live our lives, God, now, teach us how we do that for your glory. Teach us how we do that well. Teach us how we do that as an example, Father. As we learn the lessons from Paul in his situation, would you encourage our hearts, give us ears to hear your word and mind, God, to understand. And then, God, would you give us hearts that we would passionately live for you. For the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, let me give you just a little bit of background setting for this book um, as uh, we get started into this series. Um, The first, uh, this church was established during Paul's second missionary journey. If you want to read about the establishment of the church, you'll find it in Acts chapter 16. Um, We're not going to do that today. You can do that on your own. Um, As you get home, you'll go and you'll read and you'll find out that Paul went there and went down by the river and uh, met Lydia. from Thyatira, and there uh, she was converted. She was a wealthy woman. Um, Thyatira was a city a little ways away, but she was there. And then as you go through chapter 16, uh, Paul is preaching, and uh, there's this young girl who is there who is possessed, and she's crying out against him, and crying out against him, and crying out against him. And eventually, uh, Paul calls her out, and in the name of Jesus Christ, casts a demon out of her, And then in chapter 16, you see that those who were managing her, who were manipulating her for their own gain, they obviously get ticked off because their source of income is now gone, and they have Paul and Silas thrown into prison. Paul and Silas are in prison singing to the Lord. Is that what you would be doing? Singing to the Lord, and the earthquake comes. And uh, you remember the jailer was ready to go out and kill himself because he thinks everybody has escaped. And Paul says, no, we're here. He is miraculously saved along with his family and they are all baptized. And that's the beginning of this church. And and so now it's later. Um, Paul was back there on his third missionary journey. You find that towards the end of the book of Acts. It's only just mentioned that he he went through there. Um, Now Paul finds himself probably in prison in Rome. Um, That's where most of the commentators believe he is as he's writing this. He's certainly in some form of imprisonment, probably in Rome, around 60 AD, and um, that's where he is. It's during this time in prison that he writes this letter, and he writes the letter to the Ephesians, and he writes the letter to the Colossians. You ask, why is that important? You're going to see that in a few minutes as God takes and uses uh, his time in in prison, there he is. So he writes this letter to them. We need to remember that's what it was. He's writing a letter. And so why did he write it? Why did he write it? Lots of people want this book to be about joy. Um, be joyful. Wearsby wrote a great little book called Be Joyful. And it's right. This book is about joy. But it's not just about joy. If you were to sum it up in one sentence, it's really 
Joy in the midst of struggle. Joy when it's hard. Joy when it's difficult. It's not some giddy kind of thing that we're going for. It's that what is real joy? We're in the midst of the attack when we're under the pressure. That's what it's about. But it was a letter and the purpose of it accomplished many things. Here's a few things that it accomplished. First of all, you'll see as we go through the letter that Paul's writing to um, just let them know how it's going for him. Giving them an update on how it's going in his life. Uh, he writes because there's some division in the church, and, and he writes to encourage humility and leading to uh, unity. Um, there's some negative teaching and consequences that are going on in false teachers that, that he puts in this letter as well. Paul writes to commend Timothy to them. He's hoping that Timothy will soon go and be with them, and so he wants to commend Timothy as he comes, be ready for him to come, and also to give an update on Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had brought a gift from the church to Paul, almost died on the way, and so he just wants them to know that Epaphroditus is doing well. He writes to thank the church in Philippi for their gift for him. They had sent a monetary gift. I don't know what was with it, but they, they had supported him and they had been praying for him and he wants to make sure that he gives thanks to them for that as well. And, uh, but especially he draws attention to the significance of suffering in our growth. And uh, we think about our world that we live in and how things are changing and maybe what's just over the horizon for us. There are so many things that we can learn uh, from Paul and what he went through as he was um, in prison writing to these people. So in verses one and two, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul and Timothy are together. Paul is the writer of the letter. Timothy is probably the scribe or the secretary of the letter. And the two of them, he says, from Paul and Timothy, who are servants, servants, the word is really slaves, Paul and Timothy, who are slaves, slaves of who? Slaves of Jesus Christ, slaves of Christ Jesus, he says. Um, we live in a world and in a mindset where that word slave and, and um, servant is so negative. Um, we don't want to be slaves to anybody. We don't want to be servants to anyone. That's the way our world is. And Paul is pointing out how important it is for us to take hold and understand that we are slaves. We are servants. But to who? To the king of kings. To the one who is on the throne. And so the very first words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to the church, to all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So who are the saints? Who are the saints? Again, if you look at church history today, saints are people, sainthood is bestowed on people and all that. That's a bunch of malarkey. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ is a saint. And so he's writing to the church, to everyone who's put their faith in Christ, anyone who has been justified by the work of Christ, been made like we'd never sinned. You're a saint. So those were the people in the church. He calls them, I'm writing to the whole church. And as we think about it, is this for us? And you're like, well, it's not for me. I'm not a saint. Yes, you are. You're a saint because of who Jesus Christ is. You're a saint because of what he did. The word comes out of the same word as to be holy, to be separate. He says, to the saints. 
And then he says to the overseers and to the deacons, the word um, overseers or bishops and elders and pastors, we, they're seen used interchangeably all throughout the, the New Testament. And so he's writing to the spiritual leaders of the church. So, so in, in our case, he'd be saying to the elders, to the elders. Now, what do the elders here do? Well, the elders in our church are responsible for doctrine and discipline, discipleship and direction of the church. And so he's writing to them. He says, hey, this is for you, leaders. This is for you. And to the deacons, the word deacons means to be a server of the ones who are serving under the elders, the ones who are, the ones who are making it happen, as it were. I'm writing to you. This is important for you to see. And so this book is not so much about those titles and those offices. As a matter of fact, the, the reality of elders and deacons being put together in Scripture only happens here and in Timothy. In Timothy, 1 Timothy, there's a lot of direct teaching about it. Here, I don't think it's so much about structure as it is an understanding of who the people are who are in the church. And so he says, to those who are the leaders, to those who are serving, to the whole church, I'm writing to you. And he says to you, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They know Paul is in prison. They know his situation is hard. And in the first words he gives to them, it's kind of like, just relax. Grace to you and peace to you because we are in Jesus Christ. God's got this. God's got it under control. So that takes us then into the, uh, past the greetings, then into our text. And what I want to look at quickly this morning is seven marks of being in it together. That's the title of the message. But what are seven marks of being in it together? Paul was not on this thing by himself. He was so encouraged by this church. He needed this group of people. And so what are seven things that we can learn about being in it together? Here's the first one. It's called Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, in making my prayer with joy. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I've told you this before, but I totally misused this verse a lot of times when Sue and I were dating, right? Uh, we, we had to write letters back when we were dating. You couldn't even send email. Email hadn't been invented. I know you don't believe I'm that old, but I am. And, uh, and so quite often my letter would start or finish. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I was a hopeless romantic for Pete's sake. And I just thought, man, isn't that such a cool way? Well, it's not what the verse is about at all, all right? But, well, it kind of is, but it was for the church. It wasn't for husbands and wives. And if you guys, if you want to write that to your wife on Valentine's Day, that's okay. But, but Paul was writing it for the whole church as I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Okay, wait a minute. He's in prison. Isn't he supposed to be going... Woe is me. Can I have a little attention here? Can somebody put a focus on me? And there he is in his circumstance, as difficult as it was, and he's on the, I thank God every time I remember you. God help me to be more like that. God help me to get a focus off of my situation and my difficulties and onto what God has done in our church and the way he has blessed us and, and get our focus on a thankfulness that notice, first of all, I thank my God. He doesn't go, I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for you. That's part of it, but he's thankful to God. He's got the focus in the right place. He's got the foundation in the right place. I thank my God upon every remembrance 
of you regularly. Paul cried out, thanking God for this church and what God had done and the salvations that had been there and the growing up that was going on there and the development that they had in Jesus Christ. And Do you do that? Do you do that for our church? Do you ever stop and think about what God's done in our church in the last year or two years or, or five years and, and just stop and I thank my God Every remembrance of you and you and you and you and you and that hard thing in your life and you and you and the difficulty you went through and all the rest. And I thank my God. It's a new year. And tonight we're going to have a church-wide prayer night. And you have an assignment, actually two assignments. One assignment is to come and be here at 6 o'clock. But here's the real assignment. You're to come tonight to be ready to finish this, this sentence. I am thankful, Lord, that... We're going to have two microphones at the front, and I would love if there were dozens and dozens of people who would walk up to the microphone and say, I am thankful, Lord, that, and then you fill in the blank of what God did in your life in the last year, or the blessing that was poured out on you, and there's so many different things. There could be there are people who have been saved in our church this year. About 30 people got baptized in our church this year. Um, we were, the Lord allowed us to start a campus church in Newmarket. They won't even be with us tonight because they're going to be having their own prayer night. Um, I'm thankful, Lord, that. You've heard me say this before, and I go back to this over and over and over again in my life. Um, I'm thankful, Lord, that you gave me a wife who loves you. I'm thankful, Lord, that you gave me two kids who loved you, that married two kids that loved you, and who are seeking to raise their kids. Done like, what else could I ask for? But how much time do we really spend thinking about that? Paul's in prison. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. If we're going to be in it together, we're going to be a church that's founded in prayer, bathed in coming before God, in crying out to him, filled with Thanksgiving. The second verse says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. So it wasn't something he just did once a week and then if he ever remembered it again, every time God put it on his mind. Now I'm granted he had lots of time to think, okay, but, but he did it whenever he thought of them. And then it says he did it with joy. He did it with joy. Happiness is determined by our circumstances. Joy is a decision that comes out of understanding who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Happiness is what was missing in my life yesterday when the Canadian hockey team got trounced by the Finns. But happiness was restored last night when the Toronto Maple Leafs won the hockey game. That's happiness. We don't get much happiness if you're a Leaf fan, but that's, it's, it's determined by circumstances. <laughs> Toronto, oh, forget that. Paul says, he says, filled with joy. Prayer with joy. He made a decision in the midst of his hard time, in the midst of the difficulty, he was going to rejoice. It's a choice that we make. I love the statement that... Uh, 
James McDonald says joy, here's what joy is. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person, the purposes, and the people of God. Joy is the supernatural delight. It's not some fleeting thing that's determined by your circumstances. Joy you can have when you're in prison and you don't know if you're ever going to get out. And your focus and your satisfaction is in the person of who God is, in the purposes of what God is doing in your life, and then in the people of God. And, and Paul demonstrates this here as he talks about these people and how he prays for them with joy. The first mark of being in it together is being a people that are filled with thanksgiving. Here's the second one. Um, we're about team. Seven marks of being in it together. We're not alone. We do this as a team. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Fellowship. Partnership in the gospel. The common goal is to exalt Jesus Christ. Again, when you go home tonight, reread these verses and just see how many times it says Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or Christ over and over and over again, about a dozen times. Paul has a focus as to what they're about. And this team is about fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, so you have an assignment for tonight. You have an assignment for right now. So everybody just look right up here for a second. And now what I want you to do is look around the room. Just take a look at the people around you. Go ahead, do it. Don't be afraid to do it. Look at them. Okay, now ask yourself this question. Why do I hang out with such weird people? No, that's not the way. <laughs> ask yourself this question. What brings us together? Why are we here? Why would I be in this room with this group of people except for one reason, because of the partnership that we have in Jesus Christ. There's no other reason for us to be here. God has done something where he's brought people from all over the world, all of the nations are in this room right now. God is doing a work because of our partnership to be used for the glory of God. That's an amazing reality. When you think about how God is working, he says, we are in it for your partnership, for what? In the gospel the thing that unites us, the thing that brings us into the room together is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're in it together as a team. As Paul's writing, it says, from the first day until now. now these people were early get on the Paul, support him bandwagon. And many struggled along the way, but these people were with him. And he says, you guys were like that in partnership with me. We're doing this together from the first day until now team in it together God's called us to that in this church the job of the church is not the job of the elders it's not the job of the staff it's not the job of the directors it's the job of all of us it's all the parts fit together if the hand can't say to the foot I don't need you we we all need each other and so we we work in partnership and that's what Paul is calling them to and that's what we are called to in team here's the here's the next thing I want us to see is tender compassion when we're in it together, it's a, it's a team of people who are filled with tender compassion. Look what he says. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel we see him filled with tender compassion for these people, and it is right for me to feel this way. 
He's seen what God has done in their life. He sees what God is doing in their life. He's trusting for what God will do in their life. He says, it's right for me to feel this way. Those same people that you looked around and saw, do you have tender compassion for them? Oh, that's what God calls us to. Even the ones who are difficult, even the ones who are hard, even the ones who are awake sometimes, we're, we're called to have tender compassion for them. God, help us to, to love like that. The next one is we need to treasure. We need to treasure. Look at verses 8 to 11. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may prove what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I, I got to uh, verse 8 in my studies this week and I stopped and I was absolutely overwhelmed by what he actually wrote. Look what it says. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now when you hear those words, God is my witness, mostly when we hear them today, it's usually followed by a lie. If somebody's being uh, on TV, they're being questioned by the police, and they're, they're on the, no, God is my witness, God is my witness. Or, you know, I swear on my mother's grave, it's the same idea. And then the next words out of their mouth are a lie. Uh, Paul's not like that. Paul's like, God knows how much I love you. And as I was reading it, I was kind of okay with the first part of the verse. He says, um, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all. See, I could say that for you. As your pastor, I could say how much I yearn for you all. God is my witness that I want this church to grow. I want this church to be used for the glory of God. I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up. I, I can say that. But look what the rest of the verse says. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow. Is that the way we feel about each other? For the affection of Jesus? The one who would lay down his life? For his friends? Is that the way that you long for and yearn for the little kids who you serve in Awana? Like Jesus? Is that the way you long for and yearn for the people who are in your small group? You know that guy that's always kind of going off on track? He's always late. He's always whatever it is. Is that the way we long for and yearn for the youth and young adults and the women and the men who are in our church? See, Paul treasured these people. He wanted what God wanted for them. God as my witness, he says, I yearn for you, with, you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Maybe that's my New Year's resolution. God would help me to step it up from I yearn for you all that I yearn for you all like Jesus yearns for you. And maybe that's what God needs to do in our hearts for each other. He goes on and he says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. As I was preparing my message this week, Sue reminded me that's a, a verse she prays for me all the time. 
That's what she prays for her husband. As the pastor of the church, but as her husband, she prays that my love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. As I, along with the other elders, seek to lead this church and seek to lead in doctrine and direction and discipline, that I would do it with knowledge and God would give us discernment. We should be praying that for each other, that God would protect our church and use it in amazing ways. Then he goes on, the next part of the verse, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent, so the things we do would be right, and so be, he says, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, so that when Christ returns, we will be found to be pure and we will be found to be blameless. Those words are important and why he said them like he said them. That word pure that he says there was a word that was, um, was looked at as being on the internal. It was the inside of you. That we would be found to be pure on the inside. And that we would be blameless on the outside. So nobody can come and point a finger at any of us and go, oh, that's what a, that's what a Christian's like? Are you kidding me? You say you do one thing and then you do another thing. You da, 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 da. So it's the external. And so as Paul's crying out for them for this excellence and discernment, he's crying out for it in a context of purity and he starts with purity of the heart. A room full of people. I can't tell what your heart is, but God tells what your heart is. And, and Paul's prayer for them is that their hearts would be pure I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know where your mind goes when you're by yourself. I don't know what you find yourself caught up in doing. And man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at your heart. And Paul's cry for the church was that they would be a church that was pure in heart. Are you? What's grating against what I'm saying right now in your heart as you're thinking about... Sure glad they don't know about that. And right now you're being called to repentance. We sang about it in the song. God's mercy leads us to repentance. To hate your sin and love your God. Purity of heart. And then what's on the inside is on the outside that we would be blameless people, not perfect people. If, if you're visiting today and you're thinking, well, that's pretty high. Zach, I think he's perfect. Please, the people around here know how imperfect I am. Always willing to forgive, always willing to grow, willing to change for the glory of God. But Paul says that you would be pure by the work of Christ and you would be blameless that no one can point the finger at you, that it would all be used for the glory of God, and we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. It says, as we get ready for the day, as we prepare for the day, and the fruit of righteousness, which is God's working through us in this church for his glory. That's a treasure. The next thing I want us to see is about trusting, verses 12 and 13. Remember where Paul is. He's in prison and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Really? Like, Paul, you just, aren't you stretching it a little bit there, is it? Really been for the advance of the gospel. So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for, for Christ. And so he says, even though I'm in prison, 
I'm trusting God for what he will do as a result of my being here. And then he gives an illustration how his testimony, even within the guard and things that are happening. And, but let me tell you what he didn't know. He didn't know. See, he's sitting in prison and he's writing the book of Ephesians and he's writing the book of Philippians and he's writing the book of Colossians outside of the gospels the books that have affected my life more than any other books are Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Do you ever get to the place where it's like, well, you know, I'm not sure if God's really using me right now or I'm in a hard place and, hey, God can use you whatever the situation you are in. And so the words that Paul writes to the Colossians, great doctrine that's there and in the book of Ephesians, and we come to Ephesians 2, and we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and he makes us alive in Jesus Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. As he's writing them to those churches, I wonder whether he wondered what the impact would really be. But God took those three books and many other things and he's used them to change our world as believers. And sometimes we get caught up in only what we can see and what's being the benefit coming right now and God has a much bigger plan of what he's doing. When we're in it together, we learn to trust God for what he will do, how he will take our faithfulness, how he will take what we do for his glory and he will multiply it, he will use it, he will work in his way for his glory. Paul was trusting. He was trusting. Will you believe God even in your difficult circumstance? That as you are faithful to him, you will trust him and watch and see what God does. Watch and see what God does. Here's two more. Seven marks of being in it together. The next one is transformation. Paul's in prison. He's being faithful. The imperial guard has heard about this. Now verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. When we're in it together, when we are being faithful, transformation happens in people's lives. There's a transformation of the gospel, the for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the whole reason he came is so that you could have eternal life. To take you from being in a place of sin, separated from God, destined to hell, to being saved to being made right with God in relationship, to having the promise of eternal life, we're changed people. And how do we get it? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It comes as a gift. And you just receive it. Transformed. Transformed. But some people in the church in Rome, as he's speaking in verse 14, they've been transformed in the way they respond with the gospel as well. They've seen Paul's circumstances. They've seen his faithfulness. And now they're being more bold to speak the gospel. They saw that Paul had joy in the midst of his trial. They saw that God would take care of Paul in whatever his circumstances were. They saw that God could still use Paul even when he was imprisoned. And they were transformed by it. So here's the question. Who's being transformed by your life? Mom and dad? How are your kids? 
being transformed by your example and your faithfulness to God, even in the difficult times in your marriage or in your circumstances. Men and women in the workplace, how are people seeing and being transformed by your life, by your integrity, by your character? In church, how do people see the leadership and the elders and how we're leading and is it spurring them on to love and good deeds? Are people going out the door as a result of what's happening in our church by the leaders, by the, the key people leading small groups all over the place and, and now I'm living my life different because I want to be like that. That model, that example, that's what I want. Paul's in prison. He's trusting God for whatever the results will be. And people are being transformed. Who's being transformed because of your life? In your circumstance? How are you modeling the joy in the difficult times so that people look at you and they go, I don't know how he does that, but I want to be like that. Transformed. Here's the last one. It's kind of funny that he ends with this one, but is tension. Tension. Couldn't you have ended on a more positive note, Pastor? Well, I could have, except that's not what Paul ended on. It's not going to be easy. When we're in it together, it's not going to be easy. So look at the illustration that uh, he gives. Um, he talks in verse 14 about people speaking with boldness, and then he breaks it down, and he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The ones who do it from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict, uh, to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's in jail. He's in prison. And for whatever reason, whether they thought maybe he was a poor speaker, they thought, for Pete's sake, Paul, you keep getting yourself in jail. You're always suffering. I just, we've had enough of you. I don't know. Uh, maybe they were jealous of the success that he had had. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, but, but what we do know, they wanted to afflict him. They, their goal, ready? Their goal in preaching the gospel was to harm him. Now, I think if I was in prison... And people are out there going, nah, 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 on you. Look at the people we're getting saved. There you are in prison. I think I'd be pretty ticked off. I think I'd be asking God to bring down the judgment on them. And if you're honest, you probably would say the same thing. And that's not his response at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, he says, what then? Or, so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Are you kidding me? Paul, you could get to the place in your life that it didn't matter that you're in prison. It didn't seem like things were going well with you. And people are out there. It's not that people are out there and God was blessing them. People are out there God was blessing them and they're waving it in your face. Paul was so passionate about Jesus Christ. He didn't care who got the glory. 
As long as God got the glory. That's what he wanted. And you're like, well, we, surely we don't do that today. Well, I don't know. Maybe when we compare ourselves to other ministries or what's going on in other places, and we say, well, why is God blessing them? How come God's not blessing me? I'm trying to be faithful, and it's I'm trying to, I'm trying to, and I'm trying to. How come I don't get what I want? And blah, 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 blah. And on it goes. And, and Paul says, I don't care. Even if their motive is wrong. It wasn't that they were teaching a false gospel. He would have, he would have called them out on that for sure. They were preaching the gospel. Paul said, I'm going to kind of let their motives go as long as Christ is preached. May we never be a church that's wagging our finger in somebody else's face about, look what God is doing in our church and not doing it in your church. God, protect us from that. But then God, give us a spirit, give us a heart that when somebody does that to us, we would say, as long as Christ is preached, then I will rejoice. I wrote this down as if Paul were saying it. Paul's attitude went like this. If you preach the true gospel, I can't even care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will deal with you. But at least the gospel is preached. Seven marks of being in it together. The seventh one is it won't be easy. This was not outside pressure. This was inside pressure. And what God has called us to, if God is in it, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be great days. There will be great days of great rejoicing. We've experienced many of those. But we, express, we, we also have the hard days that come and we have to live through those. And in all of it, that Christ is preached. That Christ is preached. And in that, he says... I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. I rejoice today, and I will rejoice. In it together. We're in the in-between. Not yet what it's going to be. We're not close to heaven, but we're not what we used to be. But church, we're in it together. Well, so what? So what? I've tried in this message to give application all the way through, so this is just a reminder. If we are in it together, we will be a church that's filled with thanksgiving, serving together in partnership as a team, with tender compassion for one another, treasuring who God has given us, trusting in the hard time that God will take it and he will multiply it, that he will transform people in salvation and in sanctification. And then at the end, even in the tension, We'll be a church that cries out, we will rejoice. We will rejoice because Christ is, is preached. We're in it together. In 2016, we're asked God to do things that, well, let's say it this way. God's already done way above what we ever imagined. Do we have the faith to believe him for more and trust him for more? And cry out to him and ask him for more. And when you ask for more, more can be good stuff. And more can be trouble and hard times and... But I'll be content. And I'll rejoice. 
as long as Christ is lifted up, as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. God helping us, we will be a church that rejoices, not in our circumstances, but rejoices in the faithfulness of our loving God. And we will serve for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the example of Paul the Apostle. He, he too wasn't a perfect man. He struggled and he wrestled. And I imagine he had hard days. But Lord, as he writes this letter from a difficult place, he exalts you. Would that be our heart as a church? Would that be our passion as individuals? That Jesus Christ would be lifted up. That he would get the glory. That we would be a church that is about the fame of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.